0: Well, I appreciate the team and their willingness to serve today, Dave and Danielle, and, and grateful uh, for, for your contribution to our worship this morning. I want to give you a, a quick update on the daddy-daughter date night uh, last week, uh, or last night, actually. Uh, it, went, it went real well. However, uh, uh, Glenn Goodman stood my daughter up, so I had to take her. <laughs> Once he realized that uh, if he was going to play the, the, the role of dad, that he would have to also help with college tuition, he kind of backed off, and suddenly uh, suddenly it became a different. So I, I took her. Uh, I'm a little sore this morning after the, the hoedown dancing or whatever we were doing, and, and, uh, and, and I asked Faith, I said, are you sore? And she said, yes, I got this crank in my neck. I think it had to do with the dipping that I was trying to do or something, but, but we survived. So anyway, uh, thanks to the pink group and uh, putting that on. And and several of us had a a very nice, nice evening with our our beautiful daughters. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, where we're going to be landing for the next few weeks. In fact, uh, do you mind if you will stand? Let's stand together in deference to God's word. Pray this prayer with me. Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Amen. We're beginning here with verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Well, this morning we are kind of starting out a, a new series of messages that will, that will in fact lead us up to Resurrection Sunday. Uh, On Wednesday, as has been noted, we begin the season of Lent. Let me just reinforce that. You're invited to join us for an Ash Wednesday service, 7 o'clock here. That's kind of a contemplative service. It's a service of repentance. And and, uh, I, I really encourage you to be a part as we go in this journey of Lent together. But I'm calling this series, this Sunday series, our fixed, uh, fixed eyes. And that is taken, of course, from, from this key passage in, in this area where we've just read, where the Hebrew writer tells us that we are fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, when, when we face circumstances that are difficult or we face situations that seem overwhelming, we want to learn to take our eyes off of those situations and circumstances and instead train ourselves to fix them on Jesus Christ. We, we, when we do that, we won't grow weary, we won't lose heart. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to make camp right here in this passage and use it as an opportunity to explore various themes throughout the book of Hebrews. And, and as we do that, I hope we'll learn, but all through this, the theme is going to be we're not going to give up, we're going to keep going, we're going to run the race that God has set for every one of us in this room now, I want to tell you right now, this is a message that I need to hear this morning. As we are going through this time of transition with worship and leadership in that area, there have been moments, as some of you know, that I've just been down and I've been exhausted. And to be honest with you, I, I, I at times kind of, kind of go into that measure of being sorry for myself. Uh, I told the staff the other day, I just said, I'm worn out and I'm not motivated like I think I should be. I'm not doing the things, some of the things I I really think. And you know, sometimes with grief that that comes because there is a sense of of loss. But one of the things that I've been thinking about is our future. And Lord, what are we going to do? And how's it going to work out? And who do you have in store? And all of those kinds of things just at times get to me. But I believe that God has been saying to me, especially as I've been preparing for these series of messages, is wait a second, Jeff. You don't need comfort. You need courage. You don't need comfort. You need courage. You don't need more sympathy. You need more strength. There are times in our life when it's not about experiencing relief. It's about experiencing resolve. Sometimes in our life, it's not enough to get comforted. God wants to be encouraged and open and truthful and understanding that he's still in charge. He hasn't forgotten. And so in Hebrews, over these next few weeks, we're going to see that the writer is speaking to a community. He's speaking to a church and he speaks words of encouragement. He speaks courage into their discouragement. This is beyond comfort. There are lots of action verbs that we're going to explore here, but one of those is let us. Let us do these things together. Let us run the race. Sometimes more than comfort, we need courage. I want you to think about that word encouragement, in fact. If you commonly just defined encouragement, it would go something like this. Well, we might say encouragement is words to make someone else feel better. That's kind of the common understanding of encouragement. I want to make you feel better. But the word is more than that. To encourage literally means what? To put in courage. To fill up with courage. To fill with strength. So this is God when he speaks to Joshua. Right before Joshua is headed into battle, he says, be strong and courageous. God is literally encouraging him. There are moments in life when we're going to need courage. And the Hebrew writer knows this. He is very clear. He says there are going to be times, it's coming, there are going to be a moment when you're going to be discouraged. You're going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to feel beaten down. You're going to feel bad. You're going to even feel abandoned. And when that happens, here's what you need to do. And I want to go that through that with you. The first thing you'll notice here in this passage is, is the Hebrew writer says, remember the witnesses. Remember the witnesses. Verse 1 in this passage says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So Hebrews is telling us, if you feel like your courage is slipping away, and does anyone feel like that this morning? That their courage is just slipping away. If you feel like giving up, remember the witnesses. Remember the witnesses. Now, the writer here in chapter 12 begins with this word, therefore. Now, in Scripture, if you've studied uh, at any length of time, you begin to understand that there are certain words that are clues and and important. Therefore is one of those words. Therefore is one of those words where he is making a point out of a statement or or argument that he has already made. And so the word therefore is pointing to what he has just stated. It's pointing us back. And in this case, as he begins chapter 12, he's actually causing us to think about what I just said in chapter 11. And if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, you know chapter 11 is a pretty important chapter. It's often called the Faith Hall of Fame. In Hebrews 11, there is this remarkable checklist of people who have gone before, who have had it hard in many cases, and yet they were faithful throughout. They had faith in God when circumstances and situations seemed impossible. So therefore, is pointing us back to that chapter, and it describes people in that chapter, the people who have already run the race faithfully as a great cloud of witnesses. Now, there are a couple of ways we might think about this word cloud. When you and I think of a cloud, you and I begin to see a a white mass kind of floating through the sky, but that is not really the image here. He's not talking about people sitting in clouds. Sometimes we have a view of heaven like that, don't we? We're just kind of sit in a cloud and watch? No, that's not the word that this is describing. That's not the image here at all. In fact, the image is, is that there is, a, there is something that is all-encompassing. It fills the sky. You could almost think of it as fog where everywhere you are, you are surrounded by it. The word cloud here is a surrounding mass. You are in the thick of it, surrounded by it. Cloud was commonly used, therefore, as a metaphor for what a crowd was like. You know, if if, if you've ever been to Disney and You're just surrounded by people, people everywhere, people upon people and the mass of people. That would be the kind of image that we have here. If you get on Facebook and you post something, the people who read your posts and respond to it, that's kind of the cloud. So the Hebrew writer says, look, when you grow weary, and you're going to grow weary, when you get tired and you're feeling frustrated, and you will get tired and you will feel frustrated, remember, you are surrounded by a cloud. Everywhere around you, you can't see it, but everywhere around you, they see you. These people who have gone on before, you are gone on before you are now witnesses. But let's go further. We've talked about therefore, we've talked about cloud, but what about the word witnesses? It's amazing to me, but this could be used in a couple of different ways. One way to define witness is someone who sees something, right? I witness. I am a witness. I saw it. And maybe that's the idea here. The image might be that we are surrounded by these heroes of faith who are now watching us. They see us. They're in heaven looking down and they're watching us run the race. And that's the idea that I kind of grew up with. The Living Bible, for instance, paraphrases with this idea in mind. It says, since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands. The idea is that there's this great group of people who are watching us and they're cheering us on and hoping that we make it. Now, all of us in this room can relate to that. If you've ever had a, a child and, and, and you cheered them on in a football game, Joshua, my second oldest son, is down at Asbury and he joined the the tumbling team. It's a gymnastics kind of a group and, and it's a ministry. It's a really great thing. And you know, in April they have what's called a gym jam and and. Uh, the whole campus comes together and, and, and hundreds of people will come in and they'll just watch them do their flips and their flops or whatever they do and Mary and I will get to go down that and we will enjoy it. We will cheer him on and it will be fun. Now that is the image that a lot of us have in this passage. And by the way, that's not a bad image. It's not a bad interpretation and it's the one that I probably have been most familiar with when I think about this passage. But there's also another way to think about this word. A witness is not just someone who sees, but a witness is someone who says. A witness is someone who speaks. Someone who gives testimony. So what the Hebrew writer might be doing here is saying, look, we're surrounded by a cloud of people who have gone before us and they have something to say to us. They're all saying something to us what are they saying? That's the question. What is their testimony? In Hebrews 11, this verb is used five other times. Let me give an example. In verse 4, the Hebrew writer begins his list of heroes of faith, and it says, Abel still witnesses. It's the same word. He still speaks, even though he is dead. Now, we talked a little bit about this story last week, but in Genesis, after Cain killed Abel, God says to Cain, after this murder, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. In other words, even though he is dead, he's still speaking. He still has something to say. Hebrews is telling us that Abel still has something to say to you and to me. Even though he's in heaven, he continues to testify. He continues to have something to say to us. So are you with me? Oh, help me out here because I feel like I'm struggling. You guys got to give me some, some affirmation or something. Encourage me, please. Thank you. The question is then, what are the witnesses saying? And I would challenge you to read Hebrews 11 with that in mind. Think about Abel. Abel, he makes an acceptable sacrifice to God and Cain does not. Now what happens? Well, the implication is, is that Abel obeyed God. He had a right heart for God and his sacrifice made him righteous. It meant that, that he was in right relationship with God. But think about this. What happens to Abel? He dies. He gets murdered. Listen, he does the right thing, and his brother kills him. Yet Abel's story speaks to us. So what does Abel tell us? Well, one of the things is that when God makes it clear what an acceptable sacrifice is, go with that. God has given us a perfect remedy for sin Jesus Christ is our acceptable sacrifice. If God said the blood of the lamb provided for your forgiveness and overcomes your sin and your shame, then we better believe him. God has provided a sacrifice. Go with that. The Bible says, Revelation 1, five to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Abel keeps telling us, do the right thing, no matter the consequences, don't give up, keep trusting in the acceptable and perfect sacrifice that God has given us, Jesus Christ, his son. But if you go on, there are other passages, there are other people, there are great examples for us. Verse 7 tells us of Noah, and it says, Noah by faith, when warned about things not yet seen, So, remember the story of Noah. He's warned about a flood that's coming, but he's never seen rain. So, when warned about things he's never seen, in holy fear, he builds an ark to save his family, Hebrews says. So, by faith, he builds an ark, and you think, well, okay, all right, he built an ark. But do you remember how long it took him to build that ark? It took him 120 years to build that ark. Now, we've just gone through our project ourselves. It took a year, and you've about had enough of it, right? Man, the holes in the wall and the dirt and the mess and the parking and all of those things. Some of you just said, hey, we'll be back after it's done. That's how some of you were, and I understand. Think about poor Moses Think, or, or Noah. Think about the expense, the time. And Noah also had a group of people who were always there discouraging him. And yet he kept on. What does Noah tell us? As a witness, as he testifies, he sees us running our race. And I think he might say, I know you're tired. I know the progress is slower than you would have hoped. But listen, the rain comes. We see this theme throughout scripture. God is rarely early, but he's never late. And that you can trust him, even when it seems like you can't. There's a song that we've sung here every once in a while, and it's kind of popular in worship, or it was maybe a year or so ago. But it goes like this, something along the lines in one of the... And I don't even know the name of the song. That's how ignorant I am at times. But, but it says, you're never going to let me down. And I said to our staff one day, I said, listen, we're not going to sing that anymore. Because it's too trite. Because I know that I've felt let down. God's let me down. There have been moments, and you probably have experienced it too, where God, I don't get it. I'm hurting here. You disappointed me. This This has frustrated me. This has hurt me. Have you ever felt let down by God? Many times I felt let down. Things didn't go like I thought they should or would. Noah would tell us, listen, faith is sometimes waiting and waiting and it's hard. It's, it's where you're not sure that everything's going to come together, but you just keep pressing on and being obedient and trusting God that he is going to accomplish exactly what he said he would do, believing in the end, he will come through. That's faith. Verse 8 in chapter 11 tells us about Abraham. If you know the story of Abraham... God tells Abraham, I want you to leave your country and I want you to go, a pl- to go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham is like, okay, Lord, but where am I going? And God says, oh, it's all right. I'll tell you when you get there. In fact, the Bible says that Abraham went without knowing where he was going. That's faith. And for some of you right now this morning, that's the situation you're in. You're trying to be obedient to God. You're you're trying to head in the, the direction that you think he wants you to go. And God is just so coy. He's just not sharing all the information with you. And God doesn't really seem to worry about that. You'll know when you get there. But how, Lord? It's an opportunity for faith. The Bible says here of Sarah, Abraham's wife, in verse 11, she finds out that she's supposed to be the mother of a son who is going to be the father of a great nation. But the Bible says that she was old and barren. And the Hebrew writer says that Abraham, her husband, listen to this, was as good as dead. It's a phrase you'd never want to hear from your wife, okay? That's good as dead. And yet it says that Sarah believed that God would keep his promise. Chapter 11 begins this way. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. None of us know the future. You can't see how it's all going to fit. But faith means you keep moving forward. This week I stumbled across an article on Downhill Skiing now, maybe, uh, maybe Dave, who was leading us this morning, could give us a little bit. I, I found out today that he was actually he's a ski instructor, so he'd know a lot more about this than me. But the article was talking about Olympic skiing and the, the uh, fact that they, they have the Super G. You know, and I don't know what all that means. It's, I know they go down a mountain very fast, that kind of a thing. That's about the extent of it. But one of the things I didn't realize is when they are competing, they don't get to practice the course before they ski it. Now, that's interesting. They can study it. They can walk it. But they never get to ski it before they actually do their racing. And so because of that, the people who are three or five deep into the race have a pretty good advantage. Because they'll often send a teammate who's who's ahead of them who gets to the bottom and they call up to the top and say, hey, let me tell you what to expect. Here are some things that I, I were challenging to me or surprising to me. Here is a place where you pick up speed, you better be ready. Or here's a place that's sharper, a turn than what I thought it would be. And they finish the race, they call back and up and they say, hey, this is what you need to be aware of. Well, that's kind of what's happening here in Hebrews 11. They finish the race. They're calling back up and they're saying, hey, there are going to be some times in this life of yours, you're going to have some times in this life where you thought you were going to turn right, it ends up turning left. And and there are going to be moments in a season of life where you think it's going to go real fast and it's going to go slow. There are going to be this moment when you're out of control and you're going to be ready to give up, but you need to lean into it and keep going. They are letting us know what this is like. Look, you can have faith because the same God who got me to the bottom promises to be with you too. And he'll get you there. So don't you give up. You keep going. I've seen it. I've been there. I've been through it. And you'll make it too. We are witnesses. So, Abraham and Sarah would say, even if you don't know where he's leading, and even if you don't know where he's going to take you, even if you don't know what's going to happen, you don't lose faith. Don't give up. Verse 22 tells us about Joseph. Think about the story of Joseph. He in the cloud of witnesses. I remember about Joseph. Remember, he had the dream when he was a young man? It was a great dream. His brother's all bowing down to him. And he's thinking, wow, my life is going to be all. It's going to be all that and more. But what happens to Joseph? You remember those same brothers that he dreamed bowing down to him? Well, they sold him into slavery. And then when he got into slavery, you think that's pretty bad. That's pretty difficult. He gets put into prison for a crime that he didn't commit. Everything is falling apart. And yet, if you look at the life of Joseph, you will never see a man who was more faithful. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He could have, and we would understand. And yet, one of the things that will happen to you as you look at the witnesses, as you look at their stories, I promise you, it'll give you some perspective, won't it? Man, I think I've never had it so. No one has ever had it as bad as me. No one has had to go through what I've gone through. Oh, if we would look at the stories, we'd see our lives a little bit differently. In January, I was following the story of a pastor in Nigeria who had been abducted by an Islamic extremist group. His name was Reverend Lawan Ndimi. While he was captured, he was forced to do a video that was... Released to his family and to the authorities. And he said a number of things, including pleading that he would be released and that the authorities would, would cooperate. And we all understand that. But in the midst of the video, he also said, I have never been discouraged because of my conditions that I find myself in because I am in the hands of God. He said to his family and to his church at the end, He says, Don't cry. Don't worry, but thank God for everything. I found it amazing that in the midst of persecution and trial and darkness, he said, we can give thanks. On January 20th, he was executed. This morning, I've read that there were over 7,000 Nigerian Christians that have been killed in the last year, in the last year. Because of their faith. Imagine that. In Hebrews 11, it speaks of saints who have gone on before. It says, some faced jeers and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated and then I love this line the world was not worthy of them sometimes when I hear the witnesses of others who have gone on before it just changes my own picture of what I think I'm going through and the difficulty I'm facing when I say well I've got it so bad and no one has it as bad as me well We have a way of looking at things differently when we remember the witnesses. I think Joseph would say, listen, if you've gotten into this mode of, of, of this mentality, this victim mentality, he'd say to us, stop it, please. For your own sake and for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the people around you, would you stop feeling sorry for yourself? Look, I know what happened to you wasn't right. I know what you've gone through isn't fair. But what has happened has happened. What you're going through is what you're called to go through. This is not the time, however, to throw up your hands and to give up. Your story is still being written. What others have meant for evil, God can make into good. And you may not see it right now, and it may not make sense to you, and you can't see how it's going to happen. But you have faith, and don't you give up. Verse 31, uh, this is my last one. Because I, I, I really, I just fell in love with this idea. I, I thought about Rahab. Remember Rahab? Prostitute, Old Testament. And yet God uses a prostitute to help save his people. What would she say to us? Look, I think she'd say, I think she'd say, look, I, I, I know you feel weighed down about your past. I know you've blown it. I know you did it big time. And, and, and there are some things that you'd rather forget. Okay. But God has the power to change your life and to redeem your soul, and to use you marvelously. Don't you give up. Keep going. The great cloud of witnesses. So here they are. Let's bring on up here. Think about this great cloud. <laughs> Turns out many of them are Buckeyes. And, uh... <laughs> Think about this great cloud of witnesses. Remember what they tell us. I think they're standing there cheering us on. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Someone said, maybe they're singing, hang on, Sloopy. I don't know if that's. someone said that to me in the first service. I thought, okay, that, that works on. Don't give up. But secondly, I think they might be chanting something else. Now it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. We suffered. We sacrificed. We weren't perfect. But God was faithful. And now it's your turn. It's your turn to tell the story. It's your turn to be redeemed. You keep the faith. You keep being faithful. Remember the witnesses. Lord, may I be one of them. Listen, my friends, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know why, what spiral you may be in where there's this, this, this sense that of desperation, there's a situation that's overwhelming. Maybe, Maybe you're not there today, and praise God if you're not, but if you are, don't give up. Be encouraged. Not comforted. Have courage. Because God is still God. And he is very, very good. Father, I thank you that you are good. I thank you, Lord, that you love your people and that when this story is finally written, we will proclaim the goodness and faithfulness of God. Lord, may when that story is told, may we be among those who are the witnesses of faithfulness, that, Lord, we have seen you in our lives and you have held our hands and taken us each step of the way. We thank you, Lord, for those who have gone before us We thank you for the testimonies of faithfulness. We know that, Lord, in many times, in many ways, their lives were difficult. They went through trials and struggles. And, Lord, we can expect the same. But, Lord, because we know your heart, we know what you accomplished through Jesus Christ, we have hope. We promise, O God, to keep the faith. I pray this all in your holy name. Amen. Amen.